It's good to see everyone this morning, and we're excited that you are able to join us for our worship this morning. For those who are visitors and those who maybe have missed some of the previous sermons, we are doing a series going through each of the Beatitudes and breaking them down and trying to really extract what each of these statements is really trying to tell us and help us to understand in greater detail what Christ was saying in Matthew chapter 5. Now we started off talking about the background of this and how important this message was and describing how when Christ was teaching this message, this was something that was separate from what the world would have taught. Now remember, God doesn't change throughout all the periods of history. He was the same in the Old Testament. He's the same in the New Testament. This is just God in His own character. However, what people had done in their day and age is they had taken the words of God and they had twisted them and they had added their own traditions to it. Specifically, the Pharisees were guilty of this. A group that started off with good intentions, just trying to bring the old law back, but in doing so, they jumped over to the other end and started making their own religion in its stead. So when Jesus is teaching these things, this is the backbone of everything He's going to bring to pass with the church. Absolutely everything we do is really a foundation built here in Matthew chapter 5. Because remember, this is Jesus' first public sermon, His first public address. He talked previously, we know, in earlier parts of Matthew, Matthew chapter 2, I believe it is, where He was 12 years old and He was speaking to the leaders of His day. and That was an impressive thing, but this is His first public address. Talking to all men and telling them, this is the new law that we're bringing. This is what God has had in mind from the beginning, and this is what I'm going to show you. Now, we talked in depth about the first couple of these. We talked about being poor in spirit. We talked about those who mourn. But this morning, we're going to be talking about one that is often misunderstood. We're going to be discussing this morning about meekness. Meekness. Now, this is something that our world struggles to understand sometimes. And they give a lot of definitions for this term that really are inaccurate to what we're trying to discuss. They're inaccurate to what God is portraying with this word. Now, the picture you see behind me is probably not the first thought that you would think of when I said the word meekness. You probably didn't think, oh, a lion. Yeah, that's a symbol of meekness right there. But the reality is, is that's what our Lord is described as. A lion. The Lion of the tribe of Judah, specifically in the book of Revelation. This is the picture that is described of our God. Power, ferocity. However, God is described as meek. So how can we have a description like this and see a lion and say, that's our Lord, our Lord is a lion, but He's also meek. See, the reality is is that word carries with it the idea that yes, it is a level of self-control and of keeping yourself under wraps and you're not trying to go out and fight every battle that's out there, but you have the strength to fight it. You have the strength to deal with those battles. This is strength under control. And that's how we're going to break down this thought today. We're going to talk about this word meekness and really go into depth about what God is describing here. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the meek. We can be considered happy when we are meek. Why? Because if I have the strength to fight my battles, then I'm not going to be concerned. But if I have the self-control, I'm not going to be foolish with my fighting. So let's talk about this first thought. Meekness requires strength. Meekness requires strength. In our world today, we like to describe Christianity as more of a comforting and compassionate religion. And yes, that is an absolutely essential part of what we are. But in our world today, 
we've neglected strength for comfort. We've neglected standing for just allowing. That's not how God acts. That's not how God operates. Now, we're not going out trying to hurt people. We're not going out trying to beat them over the head. God sent us out on a mission to seek and to save those who are lost, not to make sure we put them down under the ground. That is our mission. However, to face a world that is against you requires strength. It requires strength. Well, how can I say that? Well, every single aspect of our world is trying to make you conform to it. In Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, Paul writing to the church in Rome says, Brethren, be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your minds, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Not to be conformed, not to be pressed into the mold of the world to look like the world. In fact, Jesus told his disciples that the world is going to hate you. Why? It hated me first. If you were of the world, the world would love you because the world loves its own. The world loves the things that look like it, act like it, talk like it. But if we're separate from that, if we're different from that, that invites opposition. That invites struggle. That invites terror. So meekness requires a strength. God's Word produces strength. Go ahead and look to Philippians chapter 4. That's Philippians chapter 4. Now, it's interesting that we go to the idea of strength in the book of Philippians, because specifically Philippians chapter 4, we think about verse 8, and we talk about all the things that are good and lovely and thinking on these things, you know. But if we get to the last part, specifically around verse 10, he says, But I rejoice in the Lord greatly, that now at last your care for me has flourished again, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content." I know how to be a base and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now we hear, usually hear that statement plastered on the screen after Tennessee wins a football game. I, have won, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's not what that phrase is talking about. What he, Paul is saying to these people, he says, I have been able to do what God has asked me to do regardless of the circumstances. Regardless of whether or not I'm poor. Regardless of whether or not I'm in chains. Regardless of whether or not I have friends or enemies in that town. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. No matter what happens to me, no matter what stands in my way, I can overcome it. But how? Through Christ. See, we're not talking this morning about a strength that you and I can just have ourselves because you and I are not going to figure this out. If we removed the Bible today, we would not get close to God. I can assure you of that. Because if we remove God's Word from us, we don't even know anything about God. There was a challenge that I heard a preacher give on one occasion where he said, tell me one thing you know about God and never quote a Bible verse. Never talk about the Bible. Well, well, God is love. Really? That's the one you want to start with? How many verses talk about the love of God and the compassion of God and the care of God? Well, God is strength. Well, we can go to the Old Testament, we can go to the New Testament, and we can discuss all the power that God has, how He literally split the Red Sea and brought it upon the Egyptians when God's people had moved across. How He brought down the walls of Jericho. We really want to say God doesn't have power without quoting the Bible? Well, we can say, well, God, God is just. Well, we see 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. 
He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There's not one thing we can talk about God or describe God with without having His Word. This is how He's revealed Himself to us, and it is by God's Word that we can have this strength. Think about how Paul has described throughout the book of First and Second Timothy and talking to Timothy over and over again, telling him to study, to prepare. We look at First Peter chapter five or four verse eight, five verse eight, excuse me. To be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil is a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. How do you become vigilant? You study the manual. You understand what God expects of you, and you understand what the world is doing, and then you can compare the two. Oftentimes, we have things backwards. We like to say, well, I like this group of people, or I like how these people act, and so I'm going to try to make the Bible match that. Friends, if I go into, a, into studying the Bible with my own preconceived idea and trying to prove something I want to prove, I can find verses that I can take out of context to make that happen. I can take any verse of the Bible I want to and justify just about anything I want to because I'm not studying with what God is intended to say. I'm studying with what I want to prove. You say, well, that can't be true. Okay, watch the news for 30 seconds. And watch how they take clips from people and make them say something they're not saying. Friends, that's what people do with God's Word day in and day out. They take what God has said and they take it and they twist it and they change it to their own destruction. It requires strength to follow the Word of God because it oftentimes leads you into conflict with the world. It would be so much easier for us to live on this earth if we just said, well, everything's okay. You do what you want, I'll do what I want, and we'll all, we'll all be fine, right? That'd be so much easier. But our job is to warn people that this earth is not their home. Our job is to warn people that there are consequences to sin. Our job is not to make people, just to show people, oh, how bad you are, is to say, this is the danger of the life you're living. We don't call a doctor evil because he made someone uncomfortable by giving them a cancer diagnosis. We say that doctor's doing his job. He's trying to help you to see you have a need. You need to have this need met. And friends, that's our job. That's our mission, but it requires strength. We have to face this world. Strength is a symptom of the confidence that God offers. Look at Psalm chapter 118. That's Psalm 118. Let's start in verse let's start in verse 5. He says, I called on the Lord in distress. The Lord answered me and set me in a broad place. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear what man what can man do unto me. The Lord is for me among those who help me. Therefore I shall see my desire on those who hate me. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. David describes here, he says, I was in distress, I had moments of weakness, I had these enemies that were about me, and I cried out to the Lord, and He is my strength. Now, if there was someone who really has an example of the strength of God and the power of God, would it not be David? I'm going to go face a lion and a bear. I don't want to face a lion and a bear. I don't care the caliber of the gun I have with me. But he went to face them. The Lord was his strength. 
I'm going to go face the nine and a half foot tall Goliath when the men of war of Israel would not dare step foot against him. Why? Because David knew how strong he was? Because David had so much confidence in himself and his accuracy? No. He had confidence in his God. He said, Goliath is blaspheming God, and I will stand on his behalf. I will stand for my Lord. But David saw that strength, but he also saw the strength of the Lord to forgive sin when he himself got into a horrible situation. See Psalm 51 and the reaction that David had to being separated from God and he said that he wanted just to be back with God. He wanted that relationship back because he knew that was his strength. He knew without God he was weak. This strength is a symptom of this confidence that God offers. Trusting in the Lord is probably one of the more difficult parts of Christianity. Because it's easy to get distracted. It's easy to say, well, the world is so powerful. It's, there's so many things that are going wrong. Everywhere you turn, it just seems like something else is going wrong. No one wants to hear anymore. No one cares anymore. You go to a door, they're going to slam it in your face. That's how our mind begins to think. So much so that we're comfortable just to stay with those who are like-minded and just say, well, we'll keep house. We'll make sure we have our people together and aside from that, it doesn't matter. Friends, that's a death sentence for the Lord's church. If a congregation takes the idea we just have to keep house, that is a dying congregation. The Lord told us to go into all the world. But that requires trust in Him. It requires trust in Him, confidence in Him, because why on earth would I put myself out there? Why on earth would I risk myself to go out into the world and talk to people if I don't have trust in God? If I don't have confidence in Him. He is the source of this strength. He's the source of this confidence. See, in Romans chapter 8, verses 37 and 39, Paul describes us as more than conquerors. Literally, the terminology, super conquerors. Think about that day and age. Think about what they would have thought of when you hear the term conqueror. What about Alexander the Great? Remember, this is years after Alexander's empire had even fallen, but that still would have been fresh in people's minds to remember Alexander the Great, the man who conquered all the known world and then cried because he couldn't conquer more. Talk about a threat. And what Paul is saying is, yeah, you see these people that you know in your history, these conquerors? You are more than conquerors. You are stronger than even that. Why? They only had confidence in themselves. Who did Alexander have but himself to lean upon? When Alexander died, what happened to his empire? It shattered. Went into tons of little pieces. There's an old poem that I had to learn when I was in school. And you know, when you're in school and you have to read a poem, it doesn't sound quite great in the moment, but when you think about it later on, it has some meaning. The poem was called Ozymandias. And the description of this poem was they were looking out upon this sea, this desert place, and in the middle of this desert, there was a statue that was standing in the middle of this desert. And at the base of this 
statue, it says, I am Ozymandias, king of kings. Look upon my works, ye mighty in despair. And the end of that poem says, you look around, there's nothing there. Just that statue, just that inscription. The moral of that poem saying that no matter what you think you can build on this earth, no matter how much confidence you think you can have in this earth, it's going to be dust later on. I can put my faith in the world. I can put my faith in a flag. I can put my faith in a government. I can put my faith in a military. But one day, they're just going to be a distant memory. But God stands eternal. The Word of God stands eternal. How do I know that? How many times have people tried to destroy it? How many times have people tried to take God's messengers and put them to death because they're tired of hearing it, and yet here we are in 2023 still holding the book? They've tried and they failed. That's the strength of our Lord. That's the strength that He offers for you and for me because we understand a little bit more than some people that this isn't the end. Even if my life comes to an end here on this earth, I've got something else to look forward to. And take just a moment to think about it. If you're trying to stamp out a movement of people who say, I don't care what you do to me on this earth, I've got something better, how do you put that out? How do you stop that? Meekness requires strength. But it is strength that's put under control. Meekness also requires self-control. See, Christianity is always, well, always has been, always will be a religion of self-control. We have to learn to say no to things. We have to keep ourselves away from certain things. Paul taught self-control of himself. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Here Paul writing to the church in Corinth, a congregation and a church that really did struggle day in and day out with things. But let's start with verse 25. He says, And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate, or temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. Any preacher that you talk to who's worth his salt says that pulpits like these are terrifying. They're terrifying. Why? Why would you say that? Oh, because people can be mean to you, right? No. Well, people may not listen, they may not hear, and you're just wasting your time, right? No. It's terrifying because these sermons are not just going to the audience. They start up here. They start with the person that's giving it. And Paul is describing this point. He says, I keep my body under subjection, lest at any time I should become disqualified. Friends, that's the Apostle Paul talking But the reality is, he's just like you and me. 
We have to keep ourselves under control. We have to make sure that we are focused on the goal. We say no to certain things. We accept the things of God. That's a difficult thing to do. Because it's easier to lash out when things go wrong. It's easier to just accept things around us because it doesn't cause as much friction. Meekness requires self-control. We think about Moses. Moses was described as the meekest man on earth in Numbers chapter 12, verse 3. But he struggled. He didn't control himself when God said, speak to the rock, and instead he smacks it and says, here ye rebels, must we fetch you water from this rock? Didn't control himself there. But he was described as a meek man. He kept himself mostly under control. He made mistakes just like you and I will make mistakes. And those mistakes can have consequences. But we are looking at examples of meekness. We see throughout the Scriptures of men who kept themselves under control, who had the power to do certain things, but chose not to. We also see examples of those who just allowed everything to happen. Think about Solomon in the book of Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and how throughout that entire thing he says, don't do what I did. I tried to find happiness in these things. It was a waste of time. I tried to find happiness in the things the world told me were great. It was a waste of time. Christianity offers substance to those who are under control. Who control themselves. You see, this is the interesting part about Christianity is people like to say, well, your God's just trying to stifle you. He's just trying to smother you. He won't let you do anything. God will allow us to do anything we want to do. God will allow us to reject Him. God will allow us to sin directly against Him. He gives us the choice to follow Him and have the blessings. He gives us the choice. He says, if you will control yourself, it will be worth it, I promise. It will be worth it. Meekness requires self-control. James tells us of this process as well in James chapter 1, verses 14 through 16, or process of sin, excuse me, how there's often times that people fall astray. They see the things of this world, and it begins to draw them away from God. It says, God is not tempted with evil, neither tempted to any man, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. And lust when it hath conceived, bring forth sin, and sin when it is finished, bringeth forth death. He said, do not err, my beloved brethren. Do not be convinced that this is going to be good. Sin is only half a gift. It's pleasurable in the moment, but its consequences are severe. James described how this process begins. It requires self-control to prevent this from happening. David illustrated the consequences of this as well from a lack of self-control. When he was up on his rooftop, he had choices to make. He could have looked away. He could have gone back downstairs. Or from the get-go, he could have been where he was supposed to be on the field of battle. But he did not practice self-control. He did not restrain himself from the things that he wanted. He said, I'm King David. I want, so I will take. And it took the death of a man and a prophet coming to him and pointing it out. Looking him dead in the eye, a king of Israel, and said, You are the man. You refuse to control yourself, and here's the consequences. We 
We should not be ashamed to describe Christianity for what it is. It's difficult. It's hard. But it's worth it. We have to face these trials, these tribulations, these difficulties, but those trials, tribulations, and difficulties produce patience, James 1, chapter 2, or verse 2. That's the blessing. We grow stronger and stronger each victory we overcome. Not bitter, not hard. We move forward. We push on. So that we can come to the end of this life, not because of all the good that I've done, but because of the grace of God, we can stand before Him and say, I'm one of yours. Not out of pride, but out of excitement. I am proud to be a follower of Christ. That belongs to those who are meek. That belongs to those who stand for the Lord. Let's look back at Matthew chapter 5 for a moment. And notice that last half. We talked about blessed are the meek. But why are they blessed? Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. There is nothing more valuable than your soul. Nothing more valuable than the blessings that Christ offers. And it's offered to those who are meek. Those who stand firm for the Lord, but those who keep themselves under control. We don't fight foolish battles, Proverbs chapter 26. We don't stand against the world just because we want to fight. We stand against the world because they stand against God. And when those moments are necessary, when those fights are necessary, we will not buckle. That's meekness. Strength under control. Maybe this morning, you're not a member of the Lord's church. You don't have these blessings. You don't have the strength in this because you've never started the process. You've never taken the time to look at God and say, I want to know more. I want to understand this. Well, I can promise you right now there's people in this very room who'd be happy to sit down and study with you and make sure you understand. There's no reason to leave these doors unsure about your state with God, unsure about where I'm going to end up in eternity. That choice can be yours this very morning. Maybe you know what needs to be done, but you've been holding yourself back. You've been saying, no, I, I I don't want to do that. I don't want to jump into this thing yet. But maybe you've begun to question that. You've become concerned. His plan is simple. Hearing the Word, believing it to be true. Understanding that what I've read from God's Word is true, that God is who He said He was, so I accept that to be true. I understand this is fact. And based upon that acceptance of fact, I'm willing to repent of all of my past sins, say that this is where I was before, but I'm changing my mind. I'm focusing on God now. And based upon that repentant heart, we're willing to confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He is exactly who He said He was, is, and will be. And I'm going to follow Him. And based upon that confession, we would be more than happy to baptize you this very morning. Bearing that old man of sin, raised to walk in newness of life, as we read in Romans chapter 8. Being new, washed from all of our sins. But maybe you are a member of the Lord's church. Maybe you've already done these things, but maybe you've allowed weakness to replace meekness. 
You said, I, I've tried to fight the world, but it's too hard. And I begin to make mistakes. I begin to separate myself from God, and I want to come back. We talked about in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But maybe you've allowed those things to completely separate you. You've said, I'm, I'm done. I've walked away. Maybe you've been away for a while. He wants you to come home. He wants you to be back with Him, a part of His family. If you have any need this morning, whether it be sins in the past, whether it be just need of prayers of the church, don't hesitate. Come now as together we stand and as we sing.